Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. And again, we're looking at how the Holy Spirit moves in the lives of the early church and specific believers and how the Holy Spirit changes and affects them. And we read this morning about Philip and his encounter with an Ethiopian official. And uh, that we read this in Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Is his, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns and he until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A long time ago, at the beginning of a summer, a lot like this one. A group gathered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to deliberate on how to move forward. The unrest that had been uh, stewing up and down the coast had finally boiled over. With the revolution upon them, five men, led by Thomas Jefferson, volunteered to write a statement of independence. About a month later, they returned with a document that outlined the core ideals of this new American experiment, what this new country was going to be about. It declared, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that uh, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we, a lot of us, probably know these words, and no matter your position on the political spectrum, these words convey a deep truth about human existence. Regardless of how or where or when you're born, no matter the color of your skin or your social status, no matter how much money you have, we are all designed for freedom. Liberty and freedom hold a certain weight, a bit like gold, perhaps because in the history of the world, it has been so rare. Wars have raged and people have sacrificed their lives all for the right to create 
uh, a freer world than before. In the movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, have any of y'all seen that? It's with Jimmy Stewart, really good movie. Uh, Jimmy Stewart explains that the, the beauty of freedom like this, liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't, I can, and my children will. As citizens of a free nation, we have an obligation to each other and to our children to make sure the freedoms that we enjoy don't fade. But as Christians, as Christians, as believers, we must remember that the freedom Jesus provides is so much greater than the ability to make our own choices and serves a far more profound purpose. See, in our culture today, we have the freedom to make our own decisions, to go left instead of right, to eat this instead of that, to live here instead of there. But our ability to choose means little if we regularly make choices that lead us away from God or increase the brokenness of our own lives and world. When humanity rebelled against their Lord, the freedom given to the children of God inherited a fatal flaw. Flooding the human heart, sin critically wounded our capacity to make the moral, spiritual, and even routine decisions of life. While no one chooses to be evil, the sin operating within us results in what our scripture describes as a divided will. Although we retain the ability to make our own choices, the capacity to choose wisely, to clearly choose good rather than evil, to follow rather than ignore the commands of our good God has been permanently corrupted. Our very ability to make those kinds of decisions has been broken. The Apostle Paul describes how sin limits freedom in Romans uh, 7. He says, I don't understand my own actions. For I, do what, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Chained by sin, the gift of freedom becomes a liability, like a, like a faulty compass that keeps leading us in the wrong direction. Enslaved to such comprehensive confusion, we at best make poor choices and at worst willingly wander away from our Lord and what he desires of and for his children. So long as sin commands the heart, our lives remain in deep spiritual bondage. But hope, hope can be found in Jesus. Through his death on the cross, we are equally freed from the bondage of sin and freed to step into the life our God promises through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The grace we find in Jesus redefines the freedom that we've been given, not as the ability to do whatever we like, but an internal alignment with the Holy Spirit, which restores to us everything we lost in the garden. Jesus frees us from sin and its consequences, allowing us to freely choose the life God originally designed for each of us. And there we find abundant life. We find genuine meaning. We find eternal purpose. And Philip's encounter with the, uh, this uh, high-ranking Ethiopian official, we see four ways that freedom expresses itself in the life of faith. First, 
is this. We see two in the uh, Ethiopian, and then we see two in Philip. So the first is this. We see the freedom that comes from seeking the truth. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem not on official business. He wasn't meeting with the Roman Empire. He was there to worship in the temple. Now, at the time, Ethiopia represented the almost mythic geography of everything south of Egypt, beyond the boundaries of the Roman Empire. People knew kingdoms existed across Africa, and the exchange of goods and ideas actually did happen. Back when Solomon was king, the queen of Sheba uh, came from Ethiopia to seek wisdom and offer gifts. People knew that there were nations, that there were people um, uh, in Africa. But the presence of this official in charge of all the treasury of the Ethiopian queen would still have been unusual. As seen by his travel to Jerusalem in a chariot, which is expensive, his purchase of the entire book of Isaiah, which is very unusual, this man took the time and money and effort to find out more about Yahweh, the God who had somehow captured his imagination over such a vast distance. His actions reveal a man seeking the truth, embodying the words of the prophet that he was struggling to understand. Isaiah 55, 6 promises that those who seek the Lord will find him. Isaiah writes, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, for he will abundantly pardon. Jesus roots this promise in the abundant love that God has for his children in Matthew 7, when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will knock. Uh, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The freedom of seeking the truth when it comes to the Christian faith leads to answers, especially when we have questions about our father who promises to answer our hardest questions and to make himself available whenever we seek him. In a broken world of complicated issues, this freedom should give us hope. We may not have the answers ourselves, but we belong to the one who does. Second, the Ethiopian official models the freedom of humility. Although his rank gave him legal and social authority, over others, and his wealth provided him benefits beyond a normal citizen, this official remained humble and eager to learn. On some level, learning about God is like trying to wrestle a waterfall or subdue an ocean. God declares in Isaiah again, again in Isaiah 55, that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Anybody who seeks to learn more about God must acknowledge Their own limitations, recognizing they might be wrong about something or many things, and they need to remain open to being taught. This Ethiopian not only recognized his inability to understand the prophecies about the Messiah, but he was eager to learn from anybody who might lend him insight. 
Put yourself in his shoes. You're an important person. You're returning home. You've been on the road for hours traveling through an empty land. Suddenly, a stranger jumps up at the window. Very unusual. Okay? Not something that happens all the time. Jumps up at the window and says, do you understand what you're reading? Rather than being offended at this person's audacity and sending them away, this Ethiopian official invites Philip into his carriage and asks him to explain it. The freedom of humility allows the official not only to hear more about Yahweh, but learn the promised Messiah had already come and would save him that moment if he wished. This humility then fueled his desire to be baptized immediately by Philip, who again must have seemed like an angel sent by God to rescue him. Today, we live in a world where so many people possess an overabundance of certainty. This tends to increase the levels of both ignorance and arrogance. It decreases honest communication. It creates more division. But humility frees believers to approach the world and other people with genuine wonder, with an appreciation for how miraculous this world really is, and to approach other people with compassion. Third, Philip embodies the freedom of surrender. Before intercepting the Ethiopian's carriage, Philip had been leading this great revival in Israel's neighbor, Samaria, resulting in nearly the entire region coming to faith in Jesus. At the height of his successful work among so many, an angel directs Philip to travel south to Old Gaza, an abandoned city on the edge of the wilderness along a rarely used road that led to Egypt and beyond. Having preached to hundreds and maybe thousands, Philip had now been sent to the edge of nowhere to meet someone the angel promised would be there. Now this command echoes a lot of stories in Israel's history where God tells his people to do something that doesn't make immediate sense. Like when Yahweh commands the people to stand at the edge of the Red Sea while Pharaoh's army is coming up behind them. Or when Elijah instructs the foreign general Naaman to go bathe in the muddy Jordan River to be cleansed from leprosy. On the surface, those things were confusing. They didn't make a whole lot of sense. But the freedom Philip shows here has the most direct echo with Jonah, the prophet who ran the opposite direction when commanded to go to Nineveh. Philip is sort of like an anti Jonah. Rather than rebel, Philip freely surrenders his own assumptions and trusts God as sending him into the desert for a reason. Philip might not have understood the command, but under the Spirit's influence, he went anyway and was directed to a person with the influence to potentially redirect an entire nation most considered to be at the ends of the earth. Corrie ten Boom, who was a, a Dutch Christian, uh, her family sheltered Jewish refugees during World War II. She was asked in an interview why they risked so much for strangers they did not know. They were living in a very dark and dangerous time. Why would they do this? Why would they put themselves at such risk? And she responded uh, after a moment of thinking. Uh, she explained her family's faith in this way. We were never afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still 
and trust the engineer. Philip embodies the freedom that comes with trusting the promises of God. The freedom that comes when we surrender our entire lives to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Finally, this is most important. Philip shows how the Spirit frees every believer to love like Jesus. Throughout his life, uh, Philip used the freedom God provided not to fulfill his own desires, but serve others. Like Stephen, Philip began his ministry as a deacon in the early church. His original call revolved around tangibly providing for those most in need and declaring the good news to a weary world still enslaved to sin. Freely surrendering his, surrendering his life to the Holy Spirit, Philip's heart slowly began to reflect the character of his Savior, which we see most clearly in his encounter here. Remember, from the eunuch's perspective, Philip's arrival was completely unexpected, a moment of sheer grace. The stranger that appeared on the side of the road had answers to the questions that had dominated his heart and mind for perhaps his entire life. Learning the truth about God and his own place in God's story, he stops the carriage and demands Philip baptize him right away. And he returns to his home country rejoicing. He returns rejoicing because the knowledge of what God has done for humanity isn't theoretical but deeply personal. Philip had come to free him from the sin that enslaved his heart and blinded his soul. It was a direct message. Philip carried, Philip was a direct message from the God of the universe who it turned out loved this Ethiopian eunuch more than he ever imagined. Philip did this because he had experienced that same grace and love in Jesus. Freed from sin, Philip chose to follow Jesus into the broken world and serve other people. Jesus frees us to experience the same kind of freedom in our lives. We are designed for this kind of freedom. We are designed to freely love everybody we meet. Uh, Peter Abelard, who was a theologian in the Middle Ages, wrote that our redemption through the suffering of Christ not only frees us from slavery to sin, but also secures for us the true liberty of the children of God in order we might do all things out of love rather than out of fear. True freedom, the liberty which Christ bestows on the cross, means living out the gospel in every arena of our lives. In Jesus, we are free to be the people he designed us to be and do many things for his kingdom, but we are freed most of all to love like Jesus loves. We are called to love others, friends, family, neighbors, strangers, people we meet in line at the grocery store as Jesus loved us. When the spirit moves in us, we are free to live courageously, to seek the lost, to cheer the sad, to challenge and defeat evil. To mirror the grace he so mercifully showed us and to love without constraint. Friends, we live in a world where it is so easy to be angry. 
It's so easy to misunderstand, to hurt others, to condemn. But Jesus frees his children to love. So today, in this holiday weekend, remember the freedom that we have been given in Jesus. Remember that we have been, we are free. We are free to love. Hallelujah. Amen.